Hello, everybody. My name is Rob Blackburn, and I am the owner of Blackburn Labs, and this is the MongoDB Podcast. This is the MongoDB Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Shane McAllister, and I'm on the developer advocacy team here at MongoDB. And as ever, we're grateful to have you join us for another insightful episode. Today, we're joined by Robert Blackburn of Blackburn Labs. Robert talks to Mike Lynn about his journey to founding Blackburn Labs and how Blackburn Labs came to developing their DevLess platform, a low-code, no-code platform, of which we featured quite a few before, that came together on the back of work they were already doing for existing clients, and as a way to help those clients out, and also for Blackburn Labs not to have to turn away any work. Robert chats with Mike about their solutions, their clients, and their tech stack, which includes MongoDB, of course, and his advice for anybody else looking to get into the software business. Let's take a listen. Well, Rob, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of the things that you've been doing at Blackburn Labs not least of which is DevLess. It's a low-code, no-code platform, and I want to get into that. But first, maybe introduce yourself to the audience. Let folks know who you are and what you do. Sure, yeah. So I'm Rob Blackburn. I own Blackburn Labs with my wife, who's a data scientist. Uh, we're a software engineering agency that builds custom software, and we tend to run the gamut of small startups to larger enterprises. And yeah, and that's kind of what we do. And uh, most of what we tend to get into is in healthcare and life sciences, but we do a lot of legal, financial, gaming, education. So we kind of run the gamut of the industries. Great. What's it like working with your wife? Awesome, actually. And I know it's not for everybody, but for us, it, it just works perfectly, especially, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, you tend to have um, very stressful days. And it's great to have the person you you talk with at, the, at night to be the one you can vent to who is right there with you the whole time. So it actually works really well for us. That's great. So how did you come to launch Blackburn Labs and go out on your own and start your business? Yeah. I mean, it happened a while ago. I've been doing software engineering since I was uh, a teenager and I was in the corporate world for a long time and eventually grew weary of that, moved into consulting. And then from there, kind of just ended up out of necessity, starting up my own consulting firm. And it kind of just grew, right? I didn't really mean for it to become what it is. You know, it was more just to kind of get some some bills paid, but it kind of just took off from there. Right? So. Yeah. So eventually you ended up developing a platform. It's called Devless. Did that come first or about what time in the in the timeline did you start to develop this framework? Very recently, actually. And it kind of did stem from that. And, you know, we're a boutique software engineering firm. Um, we're all onshore. So we were getting a lot of clients coming to us asking for apps that were uh, very good apps and really good and beneficial to them, cool little ideas. But that just didn't make a lot of sense to hire an entire agency um, financially to do that. And I hated turning these people away. These are people who, you know, own small businesses or were, uh, you know, web designers who just wanted to provide great service to their clients or things along those lines. And I hated turning them away or, you know, not being able to kind of provide them the service they needed. And we kind of looked around and uh, didn't really find a lot of no-code solutions that kind of really fit the bill for everybody. I mean, there's some good ones out there, but a lot of them, and, and somebody once told me, and it always rang true that no-code didn't mean no-developer. 
And that was what it was kind of turning into, right? That, yeah, there's no code solutions out there, um, but a lot of them still required some pretty good understanding of how software engineering worked or kind of real abstract thinking. And we're like, you know, we could probably build a system that would truly be without a developer, right? And with the intent that it's not going to do everything everybody needs, but it would be a great fit for a lot of these kind of smaller, either mom and pop shops or uh, like a, like a podcaster, you know, who might just want an ancillary kind of app or, you know, web designer who just wants to provide an, uh, an upsell service, these kind of smaller things, you know, provide them something that works well for them, but not try to boil the ocean by solving all the problems out there and therefore be able to keep it truly simple and developerless. Yeah. So describe for me the the use case and, and maybe a little bit of the, the workflow for leveraging DevList for an application. Yeah, it kind of depends a little bit on the need or what the uh, use case for the app is. A lot of it does tend to be somebody's got an idea. So, and a lot of them is they come to us first and, and are asking, hey, can you build us for that? And we're like, oh, we can, but Honestly, it's going to cost you more than you think. And why don't we look at DevList instead? And let's prototype it there, see uh, what it can do. And, and, you know, there are some sacrifices because it is simpler. See if it fits the bill, right? If it's not robust enough, well, then we can come back to potentially the kind of boutiques, custom software engineering. But there's a good chance it's going to work for you. And we, so we'll prototype it or show them how to prototype it. And uh, yeah, and see if it fits, right? And that's usually how we kind of get into it is, hey, let's take a look at what you need. Let's see if it fits. Great. And what types of applications does it excel at? I'd say mainly content delivery right now. We, we are adding a lot more add-ons. You know, every every week we're trying to throw in some more to expand what it can do. But yeah, so if you're you have content you need to deliver, um, whether that be like a support guide or technical documentation or even this kind of a question and answer kind of tool where somebody can kind of go in and ask questions, and kind of go down a list of d- decision tree or something and something along those lines. So um, and get to a video that might help them or something along those lines is where it does really well. And it can also do well in delivering kind of one-off content. Like if you have like a calculator, you need just a mechanism to deliver it. And so, you know, like the login wrapper kind of thing, um, it can be really good for that too. Mm -hmm. And it offers uh, user management, user sign-on authentication, that type of thing. Yep. Uh, You can actually turn that off. You can make it public if you want to uh, by default. um, And the free version requires a login actually. Um, And we kind of did that more just for security purposes. We didn't want people making a completely public thing and just putting any content out there they wanted without having some validation that they are a real person. But yeah, you can actually make it a public no login if you want or have a login. Uh, It gets used a lot for like internal apps too, where you have a small company who has uh, developed their own kind of question and answer decision tree kind of algorithm, and they mm-hmm. want to kind of systemify that or uh, pro- make that programmatic. They put that in there and they have all their internal people create accounts with their app and kind of log in. And it's really good. It allows them to kind of see the, the traffic as well, which is good, you know, see the usage. I like that. I like that. So how long did it take you f- to get version one out the door? Yeah, it's a hard one to answer because it did kind of start up a little organically. Me saying, hey, this really stinks. I don't want to keep doing this. Let me see if I can start building something that will help people. And we did. So we kind of had an early prototype that we had some early adopters in. Uh, Then we kind of over time have been slowly evolving and kind of waiting to see where is the need? You know, what what comes up that people are like, hey, we'd love to do that. I'm like, yeah, you know, Dallas could probably do that with some small tweaking. Let's go do those tweaks, you know. So we've also kind of used it as a place for our internal developers as we have workflow discrepancies within our own projects. We have a 
project wrap up and we've got somebody on the bench, we'll throw them at the devil and say, hey, there's been this feature that we've been wanting to go do. Go do that while we're waiting for the next contract to come in. So it's kind of mm. been a place we've been using for that as well, which has been beneficial to both sides of, of our business. Mm-hmm. So we've been working on it probably a year and a half on I don't want to say on and off, but we've always been working on it. But the amount of uh, manpower we're putting towards it at any given moment kind of varies. So, yeah. Great. And so it, it can be found at devless.app. That's D-E-V-L-E-S-S dot app. So if you're listening, you want to check that out. Uh, make sure you check the show notes as well. We'll have links to, to Devless. You kind of touched on this. There's a free version. What's the revenue model? It's a subscription system and it's it's still in its early phases. So it's not exactly a, a huge revenue stream. And it's definitely, we've, especially, like I said, we do a lot of healthcare and we've actually used it for a lot of uh, the hospitals we work for or the clinics to give them a free, <laughs> you know, a free place yeah. that, you know, especially somebody who's doing something very philanthropic, we, we absolutely hate turning those people away. So we're like, hey, we got this devil's thing. We'll give you a free account, right? And it gives yeah. us a place that we can feel good about giving those people resources as well. But yeah, it's a subscription system. So I want to talk about how it was put together. Maybe describe the stack for me. How how was it built? Yeah. And and this actually leans into what we tend to do for a lot of our clients, uh, especially on the entrepreneurial side. And and Mongo is kind of at the core of that. And especially in the situation where you don't know what you don't know, right? And and in Devlis, there's a lot we want to go do. There's a lot it can do. It's very, you know, all over the place as far as it could do all sorts of different kinds of things, but also leans into it needs to be extremely flexible right you know we're, we're if we get into a situation where devils needs to do something but the database the infrastructure won't support that we're kind of in trouble right we, we don't want to run into that situation so we needed an architecture that could be extremely flexible flow with what we needed to do and answer those things especially those problems we didn't know we were going to have. And that's kind of where Mongo kind of is king, right? Is that super flexible, kind of no SQL solution that allows you to be that kind of flexible. And we've always loved that a lot of, it's usually our kind of go-to for a lot of our clients because inevitably they're always going to have some requirement they didn't know they needed early on. And we're like, well, if, if you have that flexibility on, the, on your foundation, on the database, it all it's a trickle effect all the way up that you can be that flexible all the way up. Um, yeah, and then we've got uh, Node.js as the middle layer using parse server actually in this particular scenario and react.js as the front end. Okay. Now you mentioned the the data model and it is flexible. How, what does the data model look like? How did you design the initial schema? It, it grew a little organically, you know, so parse itself, uh, which is a Node.js kind of framework kind of comes pre-built with a lot of the authentication stuff, which is very helpful, allows us to get going very quickly. And that's, I, I love, you know, that's my kind of go-to when we need to prototype something, the go-to being the MongoDB with Parse, you can stand something up. We've literally stood up authentication-based apps that have decent functionality in like weeks, right? So it, mm-hmm. it really allows that real quick prototype, get an MVP out there, see what it does and, and start letting it grow organically is to let your customers tell you what you need. And that's exactly what we did here. We used the Flexibles tools, got the prototype out, got the MVP out quickly, let the organic evolution happen, let the customers tell us tell us what they needed next. Yeah. Do you implement some type of versioning in your schema? We do. On the code side, um, we do uh, Git, of mm-hmm. course, but you know we have Bitbucket. We've got a lot of pipelines and things along those lines towards the, the middle layer. And we use, uh, I actually like CDK for the infrastructure on the kind of the API side of things. Yeah. And then the, the- I'm actually not familiar with CDK. What is CDK? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, infrastructure as a as code, so IAC. Okay. Yeah, and it's basically you can write JavaScript or Python for your infrastructure for AWS, right? Um, where we write out and say here, and and it's actually really good for Mongo in my opinion because 
um, what we tend to do is we'll, we'll write out all this JavaScript saying we need uh, for production two EC2 small servers. We want an auto load balancing in front of it. We have this DNS entries in the Route 53 and all this stuff, you know, and you code it out. And so that way you can tear down and stand up the infrastructure in minutes, right? You can, and I love it. I heard a saying somewhere that when it comes to DevOps and infrastructure, treat your servers as cattle, not pets. And it really helps you do that where you can say, we need a new infrastructure. We need, you know, this many test servers. We need this. And we're, becomes very handy for us when it's especially with MongoDB is especially with HIPAA compliance, we need to be extra careful with the security, right? When dealing with healthcare and, and those kinds of things, or in this situation where we're obviously going to have a lot of people in there. So we use the private link, which is a great, a really cool way of connecting the Mongo Atlas hosted systems in AWS to your infrastructure over in AWS through a private link. I really encourage everybody to take a look at it because it is really good um, it's a really great security model. And it actually it was our solution to being able to do the auto scaling, right? Because when you're trying to do auto scaling, you have two servers in your public load balancer. Well, what happens when the auto scaling adds a third one? Do you have to go into Mongo and add that IP address, right? And you got to like sit there and watch or do you write some Lambda script to do? And I've, I'm not too keen on doing a lot of Lambda scripts. They tend to be very fickle. So we were always struggling with that. And so the private link really provided a solution for that first. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, here's the way we can do that. So that way... All your servers are connecting to your Mongo Atlas solutions through a private link where it's not even going over the public mm-hmm. internet. You don't have to worry about the auto scaling and having to whitelist IP addresses because it's all through this very secure private link. And through the CDK, we kind of wrote out, okay, here's how you got to go set up all those private link stuff. And you can only we only have it that one time and then we just now know how to do it. We can tear it down, stand it up very quickly if we need to. Um, that was kind of almost a a boon solution once we kind of figured out how to do that. And the CDK thing was really awesome for that. Yeah, it's really cool. I encourage people to take a look at CDK and the private link stuff if they've not experimented with that before. It's, it's DevOps has always been a necessary evil for us, right? We're software engineers. We want to just make the cool stuff. We don't want to have to deal with the server. So <laughs> having the CDK kind of lets us pretend like we're writing code yeah, uh, yeah. while we're doing infrastructure. I, I get it. And and we're talking about the AWS Cloud Development Kit. Yeah. And you kind of referenced the age-old challenge since auto-scaling was implemented where in MongoDB, in order to be able to connect to the the server cluster, uh, you can go directly to a server, you can provide that URI, but once the servers change in the auto-scaling group, then you need to modify that. So so what you're saying is you're leveraging CDK, uh, you're creating a private link, and as part of the, the private link creation, you get a, is it a mask that you get? An IP mask? Or do you get a, a range of IP addresses that it might fall into? Uh, no, you actually get where over on the MongoDB Atlas side, you first set up the private link, you tell it, okay, I'm going to be US East 1, right? Because mm. they have to actually physically be in the same distribution center. And it sets it up and it gives you an ARM number. So like a almost like a UUID kind of thing. Um, you copy that. And when you set up your private link on your side, uh, a private endpoint, you know, it's really great what Mongo does where you can actually click on the dialogue, you get the dialogue and it actually shows you and you can copy and paste the AWS script to make your endpoint on your side. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite simple once you kind of know it's there. Yeah. Once you have it, then then it's connecting through that endpoint. And I'm not an infrastructure guy. I'm not a a networking guy. That stuff hurts my head. But it's awesome because it does create this kind of private, almost private pipeline right from your servers right to the MongoDB. So we talked about Atlas being at the the center of your data platform for Devless. We talked about auto scale and we talked about AWS CDK. What other aspects of the MongoDB developer data platform are you using? Yeah, the other big one we use is the BI Connector. 
So as I mentioned, my wife is also a co-owner of the company and she's a data scientist. And so we get heavily into doing the reports and inevitably any app we build, whether it be on the Blackburn Lab side or, or DevList, inevitably you need to get into the analytics and people want to know what's going on with their apps. So we uh, custom build a lot of like reporting infrastructure and things along those lines of the BI connector. One of the first reasons I actually went to Mongo Atlas versus just kind of self-hosting the Mongo stuff was so that I could do the BI connector easily. And it's just like, you just turn it on and like, okay, that, <laughs> that, that, that won it for me. Yeah. And then we use that. And uh, even in DevList, we have uh, infrastructure where we're using like R scripts and other kind of Python Markdown to auto-generate a lot of reports in the interface um, using the BI connector. So that way she can make the reports in the languages that are good for her as a data scientist using R and Python and those things, but actually have it embedded in the React app. And, and so we kind of get the best of both worlds that way. Oh, great. So are you leveraging charts at all? We are not yet. I've, I've looked into it and it's been very intriguing. I'd, I'd love to learn, learn more about it. Great. Well, it's been a, a great discussion, Rob. Is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about Blackburn or Devless? Uh, no, I mean, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been really fun and it's it's exciting to talk about these things and, and uh, especially these kind of infrastructural things, these kind of pains we've learned over time. I, I love sharing those with people because it is um, one of those things that if you know these things, it's really cool and it really helps. And being able to share that knowledge is always a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and greatly appreciated for sure. So I want to ask you then, what advice might you have for someone that's that's interested in maybe launching a service like Devless? Start small. Uh, and that's actually kind of software engineering in general, right? I mean, the, the MVP mentality is kind of well set in the industry these days, but genuinely start small, get something basic out there. Um, don't try to do it all at once, right? You know, we everybody's always got with their app, the, the, the thing that that big vision that they've got that's going to take, you know, years to do or whatnot. But if you start small, just get something small of value out there, get that to customers and let your customers start telling you what you need to do next. Um, that is always the best way. It reduces your, your financial risk footprint, your resource risk footprint, and you're going to much more likely to land on a great product if you do it that way versus trying to guess everything up front and invest a year trying to build something, get something out quick, get something of value. Hmm. And of course, if you're following best practices and good architecture, you'll be able to scale, right? As long as you're doing the things that you know you should be doing, unit testing, CICD, using a nice flexible system like Mongo, you'll get there, right? You don't have to worry about pinning yourself into corners as long as you're following best practices and let your customers tell you what you need. Yeah, that's great advice. I know that you did come up through the MongoDB startup program. You want to talk a little bit yes. about your experience there? Yeah, actually, that's always it was kind of fun for me because we were always referring our clients to that program because they were a lot of more entrepreneurs and startups. And we'd always say, hey, go there. They've got some great material there and some great assets for you. So this is the first time because we were the client this time to be able to finally go there and register for ourselves. It was a lot. It was kind of kind of fun for me. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. yeah. And and did you avail yourself of the, the technical advisors or or did you pretty much have that all nailed? Uh, we had that down. I'd say, yes, we leveraged it, but much earlier when we were kind of working through other clients. So we'd, we'd work with those technical advisors before. So this time we didn't really need them because we've kind of been down that road before. But yeah, it's a great asset. Great. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in the MongoDB for Startups program, make sure you check the show notes or visit mongodb.com slash startups. You can get more information there. Rob, this has been a great discussion. I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me. Well, thank you. An enjoyable and great conversation with Robert there. Plenty to take on board and hopefully some inspiration for anybody looking to go down the route of either developing their own software business or getting into the area of low-code, no-code development. 
do check out the show notes for links to devless.app and also to the MongoDB startup program that Robert participated in. Have you got a story like Robert's to tell? We're always looking for guests on the MongoDB podcast, people with interesting stories to tell in the world of software development and data. So if you feel you can contribute, do get in touch with us at podcast at mongodb.com and we'd love to hear from you. Did you know that during November and December, we have .local events and MongoDB days in many cities globally? If interested, you can find out more at mongodb.com forward slash events. And the best part, all of the events are free to attend. So do check out the link to see if there's one near you. Thanks again for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you did enjoy this and the previous episodes, but haven't done so already, please do leave us a rating and possibly even a review on whatever podcast platform you use. It really does help us a lot. We appreciate it. And the ratings and review allow for greater discoverability for other people to learn about the MongoDB podcast. So from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, take care and thanks for listening.